Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about divine simplicity. The classical attribute of God, which people ascribe to God, that states that God is not composed of parts. And there's a very specific definition, which we will get into. But first, let's turn to Plato, his Paramendes. Now, I got pulled up a commentary on it that talks about what Plato was describing when he talks about this concept known as the one. Now, in Neoplatonism, the one was their idea, their description of God. Divine simplicity was a major element in who they perceived God as. They write, within D1, there are 18 separate arguments with the following conclusions. If the one is, then the one is not many. The one has no parts. The one is not a whole. The one has no beginning, middle, or end. The one is unlimited. The one has no shape. The one is not in another. The one is not in itself. The one is nowhere. The one is not in motion. The one is not at rest. The one is not different from itself. The one is not the same as another. The one is not different from another. The one is not the same as itself. The one is not like another or itself. The one is not unlike itself or another. The one is not equal to itself or another. The one is not unequal to itself or another. The one is not the same age as itself or another. The one is neither younger nor older than itself or another. The one is not in time. The one neither comes to be nor ceases to be. The one does not partake of being. The one is not. The one is not one. The one is not named or spoken of, nor is it the object of an account, knowledge, perception, or opinion. We got a lot of the primary elements of divine simplicity being described by Plato. This is a Neoplatonic, this is a Platonic value that was incorporated into the church. Let's turn to a modern philosopher theologian and see how he describes God if it's in these same terms. Here is John Frame. To say that God is simple in scholastic philosophy is to say that there is no composition in his being. Specifically, there is no composition of physical parts, form and matter, actual and potential, genius and differentia, substance and accident, God and his essence, essence and his attributes, attributes and one another, or essence and essay. God is not then in any sense made up of parts. Basically a lot of the same descriptors that are used by Plato. John Frame, a couple thousand years later, maybe like 3,000 years later, he's using the same descriptors of God that Plato was. Let's go over this real quick. He says there's no composition in his being. That means there's no composite parts. There's no you know, two different substances or two different parts or two different areas of God which combine to make a whole. The Trinity, for example, has to be defined very specifically to make sure that it's not introducing parts into the Godhead. He writes, specifically, there is no composition of physical parts. God cannot have a body. Therefore, Jesus, the human part of Jesus, could not be God. And that's a pretty common understanding. Those who uh, understand divine simplicity, the hypostatic union, they will deny that the physical part of Jesus was God because that introduces parts. God can't have a body. 
God the Father can't have a body. God the Son can't have a body. They can't have a body because bodies equal parts. You have one hand over here and one hand over here. And your hand that you do have, you have a left part of your hand and a right part of your hand. And these are parts. These are things that can be differentiated from each other. When you look at an object, you see more than one point. You see a whole bunch of points that make up that object. God cannot have any points that make up him as an object. God is absolutely simple. It says he can't have any composition of physical parts, form, or and matter. So even if God is spirit, and spirits, you see the spirit of God hovering over the face of the earth in Genesis 1.1, that can't be the type of spirit God is. God can't have a physical location. You can't be able to just draw a little spirit blob and or, or map out where his spirit might be or any sort of way to put parts or location or meaningful differences between different parts of the spirit because God can't have any of those parts. So he can't have that in form and matter, actual and potential. God can't have parts. So potentiality introduces a lot of problems into God. If God can think, if God can make decisions, if God can act, if God can be sad or happy, if he can have interactions with people and gain, maybe he listens to prayers and changes. All these things add parts to God because there's change within the Godhead. God would have be one way at one point of time and another way at a different part of time that would invalidate this concept known as divine simplicity. Whereas God forever and always has to be always the same. He can't be differentiated in any way, even in various points of time. God can't have emotions. He can't have interactions. He can't gain from outside himself. All these things introduce change. And a perfectly simple being cannot process this change. It can't interact with this change. It has to be outside of these elements. It can't be related in any way to those changing elements. Genius and differentia. So let's take cats. You see a bunch of cats, a herd of cats. I don't know if a herd of cats is a thing. You see a big pack of cats running down the alleyway. You say, oh, those are cats. They got like four legs and and they meow and they got, got some of this hair and stuff like that. So that's a genius. God can't be described as a category like that. God can't be like, oh, there's dogs over here, there's humans over here, there's angels over here, and then there's God here. He can't even be category unique. He's not in this genius. He's, he's above categorization and differentia. And so these cats, they might have hair. You might have cats with hair and cats without hair and uh, different uh, facial structures. Some of them have those flat nose that look like they just ran into a wall or something and it was permanent. He can't have anything like that that would differentiate him. And in fact, just as Plato writes in Paramendes that we, we read, we read the, the review of it, the overview of his arguments that... Uh, you know, God can't doesn't have hair, and God doesn't not have hair. He's he's above those categorizations, so you can't ascribe to him either or. It's not he he's he's above these categories. He it doesn't apply to him. He's he's species unique, and you can't even call him species unique. He's he's indescribable, ineffable, ineffable is highly heavily tied to simplicity and we did a podcast on ineffability this is the idea that god cannot be ascribed any predicates that are meaningful about his nature and character because that would give him parts that would give him 
things that are God and things that aren't God or things that could degrade or change. And if God could change, that would mean he could degrade. In this mindset, in these people's value system, it's not a Christian value set. It's a Platonistic value set. We read Plato on it. Plato also had this idea of the forms. And so you had the perfect realm, which is God, that we read about, the one. Then you had a realm below that, the realm of the ideas, in which there's a perfect representation of everything. So if there's a cat, and you have a cat over there, you kind of see, the, oh, he's got four legs, and he's got fur. Well, the best example, I think, is when Plato was defining what a man is. And he said, oh, a man is a featherless bipod. And Dow Jenny's um, he ran out and he grabbed a chicken and he plucked the chicken and he ran in with this plucked chicken and said, behold, Plato, a man. And then Plato got all mad and then he changed his definition. Well, uh, a chicken, well, he, he didn't say a chicken. He said, well, a man is a featherless bipod with broad, flat nails. And so he does the same thing that the, the proponents of divine simplicity do, where if, if they're called to account for their definitions and, and how they use words, they'll just change it on the fly. Because that just illustrates the point that these Platonic value sets, these this idea of the forms, is not a real concept. It's a completely fabricated concept. Our human beings just don't work that way. We don't classify things like this. There's, there's no such thing as objects that are, when you look at the microfine detail and get really into it, that you could differentiate one object precisely from another object. Reality just doesn't work that way. And as a good example of this, I was watching a video review of the video game Soma today. And in Soma, it, it's all about human consciousness. What makes humans humans? If you scanned my brain and you put it into a robot body, is that robot me? If you have an entire virtual world filled with these virtual consciousnesses, is that humanity? Are these people still human? Is the original still me? Is there two me's now? And uh, to what extent can our bodies be modified and us still be human? Human beings just don't have the answers to this. So the, the game is very speculative, allows you to draw your own conclusions, and because human beings do not have answers to these, these classification problems, what makes humans humans? There's no hard and fast rules. But if you're dealing with the realm of Plato and the realm of the forms and the realm where you wanted to ascribe to God properties such as divine simplicity, you have to operate in this realm where human beings, we just don't have practical access to these categories that they make up. He goes on to say that there's no composition in his being, genius and differentia, substance and accident. And their definition of substance is whatever makes that thing a thing. So James DeWessel was talking about a car and he says, I don't know what, what type of car he used, like a Honda Accord, we'll just say. And uh, he said, if you take away a will, it's not a Honda Accord anymore. And I was thinking here. That, that example completely undermines the point you're making because I still think it's a Honda Accord. I just think it's missing a wheel. And th there's, there's no such thing as this substance and accidents. But what they mean by substance is whatever integral parts make an object whole, without the part, the object wouldn't be whole. And accidents are anything that can change. Like there's an apple example that's used. I'm pulling that up real quick in this book called the Paul J. Glenn Collection. So I assume it's this, by this guy named Paul Glenn. I don't know anything about this guy, but he does define divine simplicity in very concise terms. He says, 
A substance is a reality that is naturally suited to exist as itself and not as the mark or determinant of some other thing. An accidental, or in older language, an accident, is a reality that is suited to exist as of something other than itself. And he gives the example. An apple is a substance. The size, color, weight, position, temperature, flavor, etc. of the apple are existing realities, but they are not on their own, so to speak. They exist as of the apple, not as themselves. So a color on the apple can change. The size can change. The weight... It, an apple's not an apple depending on the weight. So anything that makes an apple an apple is defined as the substance and everything else is accidental. But remember, in the real world, when human beings try to categorize objects, everything's accidental. The ship of thesis is the classical problem that is 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 proffered where you have a ship and then you have one part on the ship being changed every year at what point is that ship not that ship anymore if you took all those extra parts and just built a different ship over on in the other harbor over there is that one the original one or is, is the the ship that slowly had the parts changed out is that the original ship what is it how do how do we classify th these things and there's not strong answers because human beings do not operate in the platonic world. We do not operate as if platonic forms are an actual thing. And categorization seems to be more practically based than based in metaphysics. Like there's a metaphysical world out there with these objects with precise definitions. That's not how it works. Instead, we speak in generalities. We speak with in, in precision it's a, we we can communicate we can bring our ideas to other people's minds but when you when you look at how language works it works by approximation we speak approximately and practically best suited to get our ideas over to other people in efficient manners we don't speak with the precision demanded by plato's idea of the forms as if there are perfect representations of everything out there that re reality doesn't exist this world where simplicity is a thing does not exist so we already read plato on this we already read john frame on this we read this uh, guy named glenn on this let's turn back to our neoplatonist friend plotinus and see how he describes it then we'll turn to clement of alexandria and see how he describes uh, divine simplicity one of my pet peeves is when people try to blame everything on Augustine. Yes, Augustine was majorly influential in incorporating Platonic ideas into the church, but it well predated him. He might have been the most prolific individual, the one to do the most solidification of Plat Platonistic ideas into the church, but they preceded him before his own lifetime even. Justin Martyr was arguing Platonism when he came into the church. Uh, Clement of Alexandria, Philo of Alexandria, the origin of Alexandria, all the Alexandrians, Arrhenius. Arrhenius himself was arguing a simplicity. These people believed these ideas independently of Augustine, and Augustine probably drew on origin of Alexandria for a lot of his ideas about incorporating Platonism into Christianity. He does a lot of unaccredited sourcing of origin of Alexandria in his works. But turning to the Neoplatonists, Plotinus, when we speak of the one and we speak of the good, 
We must recognize an identical nature. We must affirm that they are the same, not, it is true, as venturing any predication with regard to the unknowable hypostasis, but simply as indicating it to ourselves in the best terms we find. Ineffability is strongly linked to divine simplicity. You can't describe God. You can't give him predicates because predicates are part. Predicates are differentiation. It's saying that there's elements of God that are different than other elements of God, and you can't have that. And he points that out here, Plotinus does, that we can't talk about it. We can't give it any predicates. And any language we do use is a best term to try to get through this idea, this lofty idea that really can't really be described with human language. And it's funny how much stock they put in this point. They, they say, oh, we can't speak with human language about God in any meaningful sense. And they glory in this as if they're... They're some sort of true mythical scholar for, for believing these things, for holding on to contradictory ideas, ideas that don't make sense, that cannot be meaningfully co communicated, and even trying to build illustrations to end those illustrations with, oh, but nothing we can say actually truly represents the reality of what God is. And then they pat themselves on the back for, for how high and lofty they are. And that's what they do. And we, we see that, I was just watching today, the James DeWessel talk on divine simplicity. And he does this throughout. He's He revels arrogantly in this philosophy, which is self-contradictory. In his book, I, I tried to confront him about this at uh, SBL, Society of Biblical Literature, but he didn't show up to his own session. So I wasn't able to do that. But in his book, he points out that he has to appeal to mystery, how God can create a world with potentiality if God is pure actuality. Because you're introducing potentiality into God. That's their categories, not my categories. Remember, I wholeheartedly reject all their categories, all the, this Platonistic framework about how the world works. So when we're critiquing their system, we have to adopt their system first and then critique it. It doesn't mean I accept their system or accept their value sets that they strongly champion. As Duazel does, he says anything that's composite must have a maker. And that maker is supreme. What, the simple makes the more complex? Okay, I guess I guess that's intuitive. No, it's not. It's it's just nonsense. It's just their values that they've incorporated from Platonism. It, it's coming from nowhere else. It's certainly not coming from the Bible where God is very complex. He's a person who has interactions and feelings and strong emotions. Emotions that guide how he acts. People ask God to hold off on punishment when he's hot. If the punishment's against them, if it's against their enemies, they're, they're quite okay with God striking when the iron's hot and not having a cooling off period. But God is a very complex being in the Bible. Divine simplicity is not a biblical attribute. When, when they do try to proof text this, they usually don't actually use their proof text as proof text. They don't do that. They use them to, to, as a springboard to talk about how they read the verse. So instead of the verse proving their theology, they will state a verse that says something which they could talk about that's tangentially related to the philosophy they want to bring to the Bible. Their proof texts do not prove their theology. Their proof texts are verses that they can just rift off of to explain how they read that verse. It doesn't prove to a skeptical third party what that verse actually means. It just signals to their audience this verse could, if read in the right way, have their philosophy in the Bible. 
indicate that their philosophy is actually supported by the Bible. If if only you were to read this one verse this one way. Their proof texts aren't proof texts. Their proof texts are talking points. Plotinus goes on, even in calling it the first, we mean no more than to express that it is the most absolute simplex. It is the self-sufficing, only in the sense it is not component of a compound nature, which would make it dependent on any other constituent. Just like Dwezel argues, just a lot of the same terminology we already saw in John Frame. It is the self-contained, because everything contained in something alien must also exist by that alien. These are Dwezel's arguments, coming straight from the pages of Plotinus, filtered through Christian thinkers. But again, Platonic values. Platonic value sets, not found within the Bible. So the last thing I want to do is turn to some of the early church fathers to show that they really did incorporate these ideas into their their view of the world this is this predates augustine i got clement of alexandria pulled up and of course there's origin of alexandria and arrhenius who adopts similar similar ideas but clement writes this this discourse respecting god is most difficult to handle for since the first principle of everything is difficult to find out the absolutely first and oldest principle which is the cause of all other things being and having been, it's difficult to exhibit. For how can that be expressed which is neither genius, nor difference, nor species, nor individual, nor number, nay more, is neither an event, nor that to which an event happens? No, one can rightly express him wholly. For on account of his greatness he is ranked as the all, and is the father of the universe. Nor are there any parts to be predicated of him, for the one is indivisible, wherefore also it is infinite, not considered with reference to inscrutability, but with reference to its being without dimension and not having a limit, and therefore it is without form and name. If we name it, we do not do so properly, terming it the one, or the good, the mind, or absolute being, or father, or God, or creator, or lord. We speak not as supplying his name, but for want. We use good names in order that the mind may have these as points of support so as not to err in other respects. Remember, this is divine ineffability. We can't actually speak positively about God. God is above these categories. You see Clement of Alexandria mentioning all these things that we already talked about that we saw in Plato, that the one is timeless. There's, he's not himself. He's not others. He's, he, you can't speak positively of him. You can't even intellectually fathom what he is he is above everything and the above everything he must be the most absolute simple because anything with parts degrades this this is their arguments this is this is their value set before clement of alexandria there was philo of alexandria we won't read philo today because uh <laughs> i spent too much time on this already but philo also affirmed these values they're just not found in the bible though Within the Bible, as we discussed in our last podcast on Romans, God has emotions, God has feelings. This is this is Paul speaking, and Paul has the potentiality to be the most Hellenized of the biblical authors. Maybe, maybe with the exception to the author of Hebrews, maybe it's Paul, but even he ascribes terms to God that are consistent with previous previous descriptions of God throughout the Bible. God's intense 
passions, his change, his considering, his thinking, his deciding, his responding to creation. This is the biblical God, not the God of pure simplicity, where God can't have parts and those parts can't be related to each other. And God must be in this timeless eternal void because adding time would create parts. It would make God older or younger. It would put him in relation to other objects. Th those those are the value sets that they champion. They're just not found in the Bible. They're found in Greek philosophy. They're found in the early church fathers, but they're not found in the writers of the Bible. Anyways, it's pretty complicated stuff. For questions and comments, put that down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening.